Welcome to Rise, Healing from Childhood Sexual Abuse Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Heil, registered psychologist and DBT certified clinician. I am also a childhood sexual abuse survivor. In this podcast, I will offer information about childhood sexual abuse in order to provide you with knowledge on this difficult topic, as well as provide you with strategies and tips that you can access now in order to begin moving from surviving to thriving. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about a a topic that, that gets me all lit up because it's something that I think a lot of people haven't heard about before. But when you hear it, it will be mind blowing because it just makes some of the behavioral patterns that you might be experiencing make so much more sense when you think about it from this context. Today, we're talking about fawning, which is the lesser known trauma response that fits within the category of things we do when our sympathetic nervous system is activated. Our sympathetic nervous system is that fight, flight, freeze response, which most of us have heard those three terms. When we're distressed, then we can fight, which means that we get aggressive, we can lash out. The flight response, which is when we avoid things and try to just stay away from things that cause distress. The freeze response being when we dissociate or when we numb out or zone out. But the fawn response, not so well known. What is the fawn response? It's a response to threat that we do, that when we're feeling threatened, we will start to become more appealing to the person who's creating the threat. We will appease them, we'll please them, and try to stay on their good side so that we can avoid them doing the threatening things that they do. This term of the fawn response or fawning, if you want to go with the verb of it, was first coined by a person named Pete Walker, who wrote the book Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. If you've never read that book, I really recommend it. It is just a wealth of information that you can receive on why some of these different symptoms will occur when we've gone through adverse childhood experiences. And uh, you'll just learn lots from from Pete Walker. So the fawn response, we try to do something as a young person to be able to please and appease the person who harms you. We want to try to do things to get the person to like us, to be just kind of keeping their cool with us, um, because then they're less likely to cause us harm. Okay, we learn this as an adaptive response as a young person. So generally speaking, if we have a tendency to fawn, then that means we've learned it from childhood. And this makes sense. If you think about the word fawn, where this comes from is think about like in the wild when you have like a fawn, um, like a, a young deer, right? They follow their their parent around, their mother around and kind of do everything like the mother and try to stay really, really close um, no matter what the mother's doing. Why does a fawn do this? Because if it doesn't, then it's going to end up dying in the wilderness. It needs its parent to survive. And humans are like that too. We need to have our caregivers take care of us in order to survive in childhood. And this was especially true way back in, say, 10,000 years ago. If we think about this from a neurobiology perspective or like natural selection, 
our brains are still more or less the same brains that our ancestors had 10,000 years ago when we were still living in clans and tribes. And if something happened to have us be outcasted from the group, we were not likely to survive, right? We needed to be part of that group of people in order to survive the conditions that people endured 10,000 years ago. So it was really important to make sure you stayed in good light with your caregiver so that you were not going to be rejected or abandoned. Now, our brains are still the same as 10,000 years ago. So now fast forward to now, we still have that urge as young people to make sure that our caregiver is happy with us. And that drive, that urge to keep our caregivers happy is especially uh, poignant when the caregiver causes us some sort of threat. Because then not only are we experiencing threat and harm from the caregiver, but our threat system is in overdrive where it's saying, if we get rejected or abandoned by this person, there's nobody left to take care of us. So it wants us to work extra hard to keep this person happy so we don't get rejected. Now let's think about this within the context of childhood sexual abuse. Let's say that you realize that um, there's times where your perpetrator, uh, especially if the perpetrator was, say, like a family member, where if you act in certain ways, maybe it would mean that the abuse would not happen. Right. If you were already aware as a young person that the abuse was not something that was beneficial to you, that it was harmful, then it's like if you act in certain ways towards them, maybe they will choose to uh, boycott those particular behaviors towards you for another day. Right. So then you're out of kind of that line of fire. Sometimes that can happen. Um, but something else happens a little bit more often is that. When oftentimes with childhood sexual abuse, in the times where the child is not being abused, then it's possible that the caregiver is going to act out in other ways towards the child. So it's it sounds it's it's well it's it's, it's a sad thing really when you think about it, especially that this is a something that's happening to to a child. I mean, it's sad when it happens to anybody, but especially children. So in some ways, when sexual abuse is occurring it can actually be the thing that keeps the child safe from other types of behaviors occurring. If a child is appeasing the adult by acting compliant towards the sexual behaviors that the adult is wanting, then perhaps the child is able to avoid being physically assaulted, being emotionally abused, being blamed for things, yelled at, being treated as if they are not important, being neglected even right? So the child learns, if I appease by going ahead with these behaviors, then it means that my perpetrator, my whoever it is, the, the, the caregiver is not going to do these other things. So the child learns to be compliant towards the sexual abuse in order to prevent other types of harm from occurring. So we see that pattern happen quite often with childhood sexual abuse, where the child learns that certain behaviors are just less costly than other behaviors at the time. That may not necessarily be the case as they grow up, but there may be certain behaviors that cause more harm as an adult thinking back on it. But as a young child, this kiddo is just trying to get through the day. They're just doing what they need to to survive today. In adulthood, what ends up happening is we have overlearned this tendency 
to try to please and appease people. And it becomes a pattern that is generalized with other people in our lives. We start to engage in these particular behaviors with virtually everybody instead of it being targeted to specific people such as just the perpetrator. And behaviors that can occur can look like struggling to set limits with others and people-pleasing, being overly cooperative or overly helpful, having a really hard time being able to say no, agreeing with others even though it might misalign with your values, avoiding conflict at all costs, blaming yourself for other people's behavior, offering people more praise and admiration than they actually really should be getting more than they deserve. Any of those things that I just listed might be indicative that you may be engaging in a fawn response. And it becomes kind of second nature. You've been doing this since childhood and you just keep on doing it into adulthood, despite the fact that there are these costs to you and that the fawn response no longer has a lot of added benefit. But because it's been a pattern for so long, it's hard to break. And your brain has probably ingrained this idea that if you don't act in those ways, then bad things might happen, that people might lash out, that harm will come to you, that it's not going to end well for you unless you engage in these people-pleasing behaviors. Because the brain will remember the trauma and it has associated that if I don't people-please, then things like this will happen. And you may not necessarily have a corrective experience yet to suggest that when you actually stand up for yourself or set limits or have your own opinion, that things go okay. So when it comes to starting to change this, if that's what you decide you want to do, the first place to start would be observing the behaviors that you are engaging in that you would associate with a fawn response. What are you actually doing? right? Is it that you're people pleasing, which really, what does that mean? I would break down the construct into what are your actual behaviors. So it might be like when somebody asks me to do them a favor, I can't say no. That's a very tangible behavior to be noticing. So we want to start to notice when we're engaging in that particular behavior. And when you catch it, we want to start to remind ourselves that the response of not being able to say no, it might have been effective back when we were being abused because it kept you safe. But in this current moment, it's no longer effective. And in fact, it's causing you issues. We may choose to tell a safe person that we want to start to work on decreasing these fond responses and ask them if they might be willing to be the person that you're going to learn how to have limits with. And I think it's helpful to do this part of telling them like, hey, this is what I'm going to start to do different so that they're not all weirded out when all of a sudden your behaviors are changing and they have no idea why, because they're probably used to you acting in a certain way. And if you change everything right away, then it it may cause them to be quite confused and, and it might cause conflict when that's the last thing you're going to be wanting. So make sure it's a safe person and a person that you feel pretty confident would support this change in you. And then you're going to choose a behavioral goal. Start to choose what it is you're targeting. So again, maybe it's you being able to say no. Maybe it's choosing that I really want to start to have an opinion on even things like what we're going to do for date night, right? Going forward, it's going to be me who's going to make these decisions on what's happening on date night rather than me deferring to you or maybe expressing like a preference for a restaurant. Perhaps it's, you know, I I think this one, I kind of laugh at this because I think this happens so often for trauma survivors where 
we tend to defer all decisions onto other people. And so people will ask us like, yeah, where do you want to go for uh, for dinner? And we're like, oh, whatever, it's fine. Like you choose. When we probably actually do have an opinion deep inside, but we're just not expressing it for fear of something happening. So I think that's a really great one to start to work on. Try expressing a preference instead and see what happens. We could also try working on telling our safe person when we don't like something, scary as that sounds, but being able to actually express when we're not happy with how something's going. And and again, certainly practicing saying no, I think that's a really important one to learn how to do so that you're not taking on all these extra demands and burning yourself out. Once we choose what behavior we're targeting, and I, I would propose choose one. If you try to choose all of them all at the same time, it's too much. It won't work. You'll stop doing it. So choose one behavior and then carry forward with it and start to enact this behavior in this new way. When you do that, I'd ask you to then notice after engaging in the new behavior, whether anything bad happened. Did the thing you were worried about happening actually happen? Did the person hurt you? Did they get angry with you? Did any of those fears actually come true? Chances are the answer is going to be no. And over time, this will create corrective experiences where you're able to teach your brain that it's safe to have these limits and that you no longer have to be engaging in fawning. So I hope this is helpful for everybody. I think this is a big topic and it's it's in some ways simple to talk about it. Uh, it doesn't take a lot to explain it, but really hard to actually change the behaviors because they've been happening for a lifetime. So be gentle with yourselves and take your time with this and really just understand where it's coming from and, and give yourself all the validation you need to understand that this was a safety mechanism for you. You were doing this because it worked back then, but it's just not serving you anymore. So take care for now and catch you next episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you found today's episode helpful, please go ahead and leave me a review. And you can also follow the show so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. For more information about me, you can check out my website, www.innersolutions.ca.